and what a beautiful, wonderful, powerful name it is. And we've been, we've been focused on the names of God this month. Um, this is our fourth in our series here, known, known by His name. So how do you know God? Who is God to you? That might sound like a little new agey type of question, isn't it? God is who you determine God is. But that's, that's not what this has been about. As we have been surveying particularly how God interacted with his people, and more specifically in Abram's life this month, we've been looking at how they have come to know God based on their experiences with God. And I think that in, in a lot of ways, the way we worship or maybe the intensity of our prayer life or perhaps the passion that we have concerning our faith goes as deep as you know God. For some, their, their uh, knowledge of God is so superficial and thin they do not have faith that God can do as he said he would do. They do not believe that God forgives all sin because they haven't experienced anybody forgiving them their wrongs. But let me tell you, when you experience the forgiveness that is yours in Jesus Christ and you sit down and you, you write down on that list those things that you know, well, that's... That's pretty bad stuff. Who can forgive that? He has the nail-scarred hands to prove it. When we come to know a God who provides in ways that seem to be out of the blue, like, where did that come from? Well, when we learn to attribute all praise and honor and glory to the one who does provide, even when we least deserve it, or whenever it is out of the blue, or in ways that is unimaginable, well, and we direct our worship and praise to the one who provided it, our faith goes a little bit deeper. And with each instance and with each experience and, and each time that we get to know God deeply, deeper and deeper, man, when we say God... When we worship God, we know God in extremely deep, practical, personal ways. I believe in the Old Testament what we see is that when, when people get to know God in that way, they attribute a name to God that is like, this is the God I know. This is how God has worked in, in my life. And the names given to God throughout Scripture... Unfortunately for us, in a lot of ways, because of our English translations, we, we miss out on those names given to him. And usually when we pray or we talk about God or we're having conversation with God or we're giving testimony to God, we just limit it to that three-letter name or God, for God or five-letter name, Jesus, which is a great name. It's the name above every other name. Amen. But sometimes that just becomes a name. It becomes easy to say. 
But that's what I like about looking at these names for God in Scripture. And because to me, it, it gives me more understanding, more depth in knowing who God is and how God works. And it allows me to look to see how is God working in my life today. And so when we look at these names for God, or as we have looked at these names for God, I hope it's been an encouragement for you. Because it gives a deeper look at exactly who God is. And that this is a specific God. And a God who works in a specific manner. First of which we look at him as Elohim. Basic meaning for that, if we want to call it basic enough or fundamental. How about that? That's a good word. Fundamental enough is that he is creator. That the God that we worship is the creator. The most fundamental, basic, ground level way we know God is as creator. And as creator, we know that if he is the creator, which we know he is the creator, then there is no one else that is equal to him. Because he's the creator. In Genesis 14, we looked at his place, his, the most high place, was the name given him, and El Elyon. Last week in Genesis 16, we looked at how he revealed himself to Hagar. How she came to know him as El Rai, as the God who sees. Where she felt like she was alone and abandoned and abused. God came to her and she saw him and she recognized that God even saw her. In her position. And so today, this week, we're looking at the name El Shaddai. I'm sure you've heard the name El Shaddai before. If you are like me and you listen to Amy Grant in the 80s, you, you might even remember the song that she gave, that she sang. Remember that, El Shaddai? And so this name, El Shaddai, is first given to us in Genesis 17. And so follow along with me, and we will start with the first verse. It reads, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. And we'll stop there for just a moment. So in this passage, we have a new name for God. Um, and we also have a name change for Abram too, don't we? Now, it's not unusual for people in the Bible to change their name after a significant moment in their life. We see it happen to Jacob. He changes his name to Israel. Saul renames himself to Paul. And Simon, in an instance when Jesus said, you will now be... Petros, 
changes his name to Peter. These names were significant because they, they signified a life change in a person's life. A revelation, as Jesus says to Peter, because this was not revealed to you by man. And so that there's these, this, it's common for names to be changed. And I've experienced this personally in my visits to Uganda, where my friends, Selvin and Laurel Jeremiah, are missionaries through the IMB. In Uganda, in the Karamajong region, when you become a Christian and are baptized, you are given a Christian name in response to that. So you see this picture on the screen. It's, symb- it's, it's of the, uh, the disciples, the, 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 the lead disciples that Selvin has been working with. Selvin is the, the one on your right in the red Georgia shirt. It's funny. He gets all of them to wear Georgia during football season. It's funny. He passes out his shirts to everybody. The beardless wonder there is myself. Next to him is Lomogay, who his Christian name is Mark. Corian, whose Christian name is Peter. Teko, whose Christian name is Simon, and he's the lead pastor that Selvin is working with in the green shirt. And Lemuria, who is known as Abraham. And so there are still people, there are still regions, there are still tribes that that continue that practice, that recognize it in, in, um, in Scripture. And so they continue to, you know, go by that um, even, even today. And I, I'm excited to be able to show you this picture and, and look forward to being able to introduce you all to them. I am planning a trip out there and love to be able to bring, take some of you with me. But this is, uh, these are people that I will definitely be encouraging you all to be praying for um, and get to show them to you on the screen here. But the the point here bringing them up is how they practice this new life, recognizing their new life, this restart in their life by changing their name when they're baptized. And so here in Genesis 17, we have three name changes so to speak, God calling himself El Shaddai, Abram being given the name Abraham, and Sarai giving the name Sarah in verse 15. Now, truthfully speaking, none of us has really said Sarah's name correctly. We're used to to saying it as Sarah, but the way I've been pronouncing it when it's the R-A-I is Sarai, and when it's S-A-R-A-H, it's Sarah, without the E at the end. But most often, we'll just say Sarah. I'm just showing you how smart I am. That was free. You know, no cost of admission for that one. All right. All right, so let's get into this. The first point here. El Shaddai is the all-powerful, almighty creator, God. So this is the first new name that's given to us in this passage. And it's... The first time that we see that man does not give the name. In all the other instances and in so many more to come, it's usually man saying this is who God is. But this is the time when God presents himself to Abraham and he's saying, you know, there's something that you need to know about me. I am almighty God. In other words, there is nothing that I cannot 
do. It's the name that God gives himself before Abraham, who is 99 years old, according to verse 1, because he is about to do something that I haven't heard of too many 99-year-old men or 90-year-old wives being particularly interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah, that takes an almighty act, doesn't it? The name El Shaddai occurs eight times in the Old Testament. Joseph, who is Jacob's son, was sold into slavery, became the second in all of Egypt. He learned of El Shaddai, that God was going to do as he promised to do, and that name is given in Genesis 40. In coming to Moses in the burning bush, God refers to himself as El Shaddai. He, he says, I am the El Shaddai who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that was just before saying, and now you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to do something. When Balak commissioned Balaam to speak a curse on the Israelites, God re- revealed himself to Balaam as El Shaddai, revealing that he was the God surrounding and protecting the Israelites. And so instead of cursing the Israelites as he was commissioned to do, he blessed them instead. In the book of Job, El Shaddai is the name that's used in the later chapters of Job to refer to God himself as, I am the Almighty God. I am the El Shaddai. There is no one more able, capable, powerful than I. And I think that's the significance between the two parts of this word. You have the El The E-L that refers to him as creator God and Shaddai, which means that he is the strongest creator God. That there is no one more capable or more able than he. And so put these together and the name speaks of a God that is all powerful, entirely capable of doing the miraculous. And in Abram's experience here, At 99 years old, he's going to learn exactly that. How he is a God that can take a barren womb, one nine decades worth of barrenness, in the case of Sarai, take a couple and kickstart what he is going to say is the father of many nations. So we know he's 99. When God came back to reaffirm to him the promise that he gave him 10 years earlier. So this promise that was given in chapter 15, the original promise, it's now been 10 years later. 10 years is a long, uh, is a long time to create a lot of doubt, don't you think? Something promised, and especially in the way that we work today. You know, if you're going to promise me that you're going to do something tomorrow, I expect it to be done yesterday. And they had 10 years of chewing on this. Verse 17 tells us Abraham's response. What does it say in verse 17? He fell face down and did what? He thanked God so much. No, he, it says he laughed. 
he laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be, more, be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? He fell on his face and laughed. Who, who wouldn't fall on their face and laugh with a promise like that? Yeah, right. Sure. That's exactly the reason why God reveals himself to Abraham this way. I am El Shaddai. I am creator and I am almighty. And I can do anything, including the ridiculous, including the nearly impossible. I can do it. So, he makes a promise. He comes back and he says, I'm ready to fulfill that promise. How do we know that he can? Well, like you see on the screen, and as I promised you every week, as we look at the L names of God, our first point is what? Because he's the creator God. He made it. He made it all. He knows exactly how it all functions because he put it all into existence. Each week I've tried to explain how this fundamental understanding of God, of the God we worship, how, how he is capable of doing as he promised or as he wishes. All we have to do is look around at what he's already done. I shared with you before about how unique this home of ours is when it refers to the, the, the distance of this planet from the sun, when it refers to the tilt of this planet on its axis in order for us to be able to breathe, walk, exist. Other ways that we should recognize that this is a God who is capable of doing the improbable this is when he put this planet in perfect orbit around the sun. So we can experience different seasons. And the purpose of those seasons is so that the planet can rejuvenate itself. We might not care too much for winter. But winter is necessary in order for us to enjoy spring and summer. Just as he put together an ecological system where water is evaporated up into the sky out of the oceans where it don't taste none too good, if you've ever swallowed any. How it's able to lift that water up, evaporate it up into the sky, leaving the saltiness behind. How it filters through that water and carries it onto land and drops it into reservoirs and riverbeds and lakes and ponds in a, where it's fresh and we can drink from it. Just consider the, the system that he put into place as he fashioned together the intricacies of our eyes with an optic nerve of approximately 1.7 million fibers going from each eyeball to your brain, taking the signals that it collects and sending it to the brain to be translated. 
Just as he fashioned a reproductive system where the two parts of his creation, male and female, can come together as one with the ability to create life. Hey, did I tell you all I'm going to be a granddad? Woo! Hey, that's baby Ewan on the screen. That's his actual ultrasound picture. Isn't that beautiful? Almighty God fashioned that process. Almighty God put that system into place. That is El Shaddai's work. So like Abraham, we might laugh and mock God, and our society and our culture is laughing and mocking God in unprecedented ways today. Trying to make sense out of all of these. Making an abomination out of all of these. Abram, Abraham laughed at the possibility of becoming a father at the age of a hundred. But that doesn't change who God is. He is El Shaddai. He is almighty creator. And we don't leave these sorts of things to chance. We were designed and fashioned and placed on a beautiful sphere to thrive and to worship that God. Let's not demean or belittle it, but let's stand in awe of it and recognize that if God can do this, if God can do that, then what he promises he will do, he can do. He is El Shaddai. And he is the El Shaddai that can change lives. Not only did God reveal a new name for himself, but he also gave Abram and Sarai a new name. Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer, this is verse 15, no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will also bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So first, God reveals himself as the God of creation and power and ability and almightiness. And then next, we see a man receiving and seeing the revelation of that power in his life. This couple is a result of God's almighty work already, and yet he has more in store for them. And it starts off by him giving them a new name. Now, Abram's name, Abram's name meant noble father, which is ironic if you think about it. Because one, he was not a father. And then secondly, he was not noble. This is the same man who, when he and his wife end up in Egypt... In a Pharaoh king's house, 
the Pharaoh asked Abram, is Sarah your sister or your wife? And Abram said, well, she's my sister. Because he was afraid of what the Pharaoh might do to him if he claimed her as his wife. Now, there's something, husbands, for you to learn there, okay? Don't get yourself in trouble. Let Abram's mistake, you know, be to our benefit, amen? Sure, there are highlights in Abram's life that we acknowledge, but like any of us, there are, there are things about ourselves that we are, would be embarrassed to let out into the open for people to know about us, especially in regards to our lack of faith. Here in this instance, what we find Abram doing is laughing at God, laughing at God's promise. Yeah, right, God. Like, you can do that. So God changes Abram's name. He gives Abram basically a fresh start, just like the Karamajong do as they come to know Christ and are baptized and they change their name, give themselves a Christian name. Their fresh start, this fresh start is happening here and now. Abram, everything else, that's behind you. Now you have something new. Now you have a fulfilled promise. Now you are Abraham, which means father to many. Did you know that? Abraham means father to many. I can understand why Abraham's laughing, can't you? What, you, what I'm, now I'm to be a father to many? Not only am I the father to just one child, an illegitimate one at that, now me, my wife and I, Sarah and I, we're going to actually have many children. We're going to be the father of many nations. That, that seems laughable, doesn't it? From a human's perspective, scientifically speaking, it was impossible, highly improbable for Abraham and Sarah to ever have children. And I think that's exactly why God chose to use them so that he could reveal himself as El Shaddai, as the almighty creator. And here's a new name to come with that promise. Abram's name and Abraham's name is up on the screen for you. It doesn't take a theologian to point out when you're looking at it in Hebrew that there's a difference in the spelling of Abraham's name, to Abram's name to Abraham's name, right? I, I, you know, it, that's pretty obvious that there would be new letters. These letters, although it looks like one, they're actually two letters, two parts of one letter. They're two letters, and they, and in English, that's where we get the H-A, the H-A. So H-A spells what? Spells what? I don't know why you're laughing. I haven't said anything funny. But to us, in English, we see the H-A, right? But here's the thing about this letter. It's the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so now I'm adding wrinkles to your brain. It's the fifth letter to the Hebrew alphabet. And that letter is the letter hey, A-T-Y. It's the letter hey. This letter was reserved for God. 
You know the YHWH for Yahweh? This letter was reserved to symbolize and signify God. So, so here's the thing about Abraham's name and this letter that has now been put into Abraham's name because it symbolized and was reserved only for God. Here's what it symbolizes. Whenever anybody heard Abraham's name, they recognized that God was with Abraham. God, and that what he did here is that he injected himself, his name, into Abram's name. So that any time anybody, he introduced himself to anybody, Abraham, what, what he was saying was, Hi, I'm Abraham, God is with me. That's what God did here. He didn't just change his name to have a noble father to father of many. He said, no, now my name, I myself am in your name. Gives it much more significant connotation when you recognize what God has done here. He is now carrying the very presence of God with him in his name. And what would the evidence of that be? Well, verse 6. Here's the evidence. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That letter in Abraham's name, that's what it represents. God is in this house. So what about for Sarai? We, we don't really know what her original name meant, but, but some have surmised that it meant to mock because of the, her attitude, um, which we find you can read and study on. But the name Sarai, Sarah is translated as princess. And just as God put his letter in Abraham's name, he put that exact same letter in Sarah's name. Now, in Hebrew, you read from the right to the left, not the left to the right. So you see that that symbol, it looks like it comes first for us. But that symbol, that H-A, that ha, that hey, is right there in her name. So now, even with Sarah and all of her criticism of God, and even in her handing over Hagar to Abraham and said, here, let's kickstart this. Let's get ahead of God for a minute. Even in her lack of faith, even in her questioning of God's ability, God places his name in her name as well. Everything leading up to this point. Everything that I've mentioned this morning leads up to this point. Is that El Shaddai wants to do something more than change someone's name. He wants to place himself into your life. He wants to take 
that lack of faith, that little to no faith, that even if there were any sort of faith, they, he wants to take someone who has tripped up and messed up and flubbed up their entire life, and he says, I'm going to give you a fresh start. Let me inject myself into you. In fact, the way that we say that today, he wants to put his spirit and he wants to give you new birth. Second life, second chance. And he's been doing it ever since. Father Abraham had many sons and he changed his life and he put his name into him into him this is the god we worship the god we pray to the god we call on this is the god who sent his one and only son into the world that whosoever would believe on him who would call upon him shall be saved given new life rebirth a second chance a new opportunity This is the God who can enter in and take that life that's bruised, a life that's been abused, a home that is broken, a home without love, a man addicted to pornography, a woman addicted to selfies and constant attention, a child questioning what they're going to do with their life or even questioning who they are. And he wants to inject his name, place his spirit, breathe new life, give meaning to what is seemingly broken and meaningless. Because what we do when something is broken is we throw it in the trash. What God does when something is broken is that he gives new names, new life, new spirit, new meaning, new purpose, new direction, He plants himself and he opens up the possibilities. El Shaddai, Almighty God. What it signifies here in chapter 17 is that God can take the broken. He can take what the the, the little to no faith, the, the person who questions the reality of it all, and he can say, let me show you what I can do. And that's exactly the God that we worship and what God wants to do even in your circumstance, in your situation, in your doubt, in your fear, in your worry. Let me tell you, even when you laugh at God, that's what I take away from the name change that Sarah and Abraham go through is they now have a fresh start, a do-over. God has put his letter into their name after a century of being barren, after decades of moments where their faith weren't quite where it needed to be. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. 
He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, so that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's who God is. That's what El Shaddai symbolizes. That's the name of Psalm 40. That's the almighty God. And he, what he did in Abraham and Sarah, he wants to do through you. In verse 6, what does he promise? I will make you fruitful. And in a lot of ways, we, t- we do. We, we take a look at our lives and we determine how valuable we are based on our fruit. Based off of what we've done, how we've spent our life, what we've achieved, what we've learned. And for some of us, not so much. Heartache after heartache. Trouble after trouble. Faithlessness after faithlessness. And yet, just like with Abram and Sarah, as his children, as his creation, when he puts himself into you, when he writes himself onto your heart, when his spirit comes and fills that hole, that's when real life begins. That's the second chance opportunity he gives. And even if you believe that it's laughable or inconceivable, That God would want to take someone like you, just look around. Because all of us, each of us, we're standing here, we're in this place because God took a sinner like me. And he wrote his name on my heart and on your heart and on your heart and on your heart. Yeah, and on yours too. Don't consider that laughable, impossible, or inconceivable. That's exactly what Almighty God can do with you. Pray with me.